0: Welcome to Hi- <clears throat> Welcome to Hydrant Church Online. My name is Tim. I'm the pastor here, and it is a privilege to be able to worship with you as we continue through these conversations around the Book of Daniel. We're talking about how to thrive in a world where the culture is so opposed, or so different, or so contrary to our Christian worldview, to how we believe God is calling us to live into his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And we've talked about the book of Daniel less like a storybook of hero stories or promises that God will rescue us when we find ourselves threatened by the the empire or the power that exists in our world. Instead, we're looking at Daniel and his friends and the stories contained in these in these memoirs as a as a way to understand how to thrive in a world like Babylon. Babylon is is used throughout scripture as this metaphor for the ultimate evil, for the empire that is so driven to accumulate more and more and more power and wealth and weapons and control over the world. The One of those kind of key concepts that define empire throughout Scripture is this desire for more, that there is never enough. And so it continues to consume all of the resources around it, all of the nations around it, all of the people around it just get caught up in this vacuum of empire. It can be a little challenging sometimes for us as as citizens of the United States to, to kind of connect with someone like Daniel because our lives are inside of the culture. They're inside of a culture that has all of the weapons, that has all of the wealth, that has this continual reach for more. And so as Daniel gets transplanted as this Jewish man into this world where his his identity as a follower of Yahweh is stripped away, where his religion is, they, they try to teach it out of him by teaching him the occult. And they put him to work for an evil boss, an evil king. His, his identity and, and everything he understands about the world is being stripped away. And when we look at Daniel, we see how he chose to thrive. And we've been talking about kind of three key characteristics of Daniel that that lead to thriving in Babylon in his day and in the world today. Last week we talked about hope and how hope creates courage. And the other two are humility and wisdom. And as we began the series, we kind of unpacked all three of those a little bit, and as we come toward the end of the series, we're taking each one and looking at them more closely. So last week, we, we really dove into this idea of hope, hope that is built on God and not anything else, hope that is built on His faithfulness, not on our faithfulness or our ability or our righteousness or our, even, even our good works, but a hope that is built on the faithfulness of God that says, in the end, He will use all that is good and bad to bring about wonderful things for all creation. And that when we have hope, we have hope in him, it will allow us to risk being courageous. It will allow us to stand for what is true, to live in a way of love when it seems contradictory and futile in our world. It allows us to operate in ways that are not dominated by violence, that doesn't return violence for violence, but not just loves our neighbor, but can even love our enemy kind of a remarkable teaching in and of itself, how courageous it takes to, how much courage it really takes to love our neighbor, but really to love our enemies. When we begin to love our enemies, those categories, those lines between friend and enemy and neighbor, they all start to dissipate, and we become human beings with one another, and we courageously fight for a world that is marked By a shared humanity that is marked by unity, that is marked by the love of God. But it takes hope hope in this possibility, hope in in a God who is at work in the world, even when it seems backwards and upside down. But courage, courage without humility will only lead to heartache, your own and others. Courage without humility leads to resistance. It leads to opposition. It creates more lines instead of breaking them down, more boundaries instead of breaking them down. And ultimately, courage without humility leads to martyrdom. But, but humility without courage just leads to spinelessness. And I think, it, I think that a lot of this has to do with our misunderstanding of humility. Rarely, in a culture today, do we look at our children and think, I want to raise really humble children, or, or do we want to raise up another generation of humble leaders? I mean, it's, it's this ideal out there somewhere that we hope someone is striving for, that, that someone is living in, but, but that really, if we're humble we kind of think of it as weakness, or we think of it as low self-esteem or a lack of ambition, that there's this constant downplaying of our identity. And, and in, a, in a day like today, it just doesn't feel right to, to lift up humility as a characteristic that, that is a way to thrive in a culture like ours. But I think a lot of it does depend on the fact that we misunderstand humility. Humility is not weakness. It is not fear. It is not insecurity. In fact, it is is this ability to serve and honor others, to see in them the spark of the divine, to see that everything and everyone is spiritual and to lean into that and to, to find that connectedness with everyone, even those we disagree with, even those we don't like, even those in authority over us that we don't think should be, even those that we would perceive as evil. See, humility is is not low self-esteem. If we look just simply in Daniel, in Daniel chapter 2, in verse 16, we read this, that Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream. Talked a little bit about this, that that the king had a dream that he was worried about, and he called all of the the seers and all of the magicians and all of the enchanters and said, hey, tell me my dream and the interpretation, or I'm going to kill you all and burn your house. Daniel hears about this and attempts to save all of them by going directly to the king and asking for time and committing to come back with the interpretation. This is a man who was confident in who he was and who God was. He didn't lack self-esteem. In fact, he had this courageous hope and confidence. So, so humility is not a lack of self-esteem, neither it is a lack of ambition, We see in the Gospels that two of Jesus' disciples come to Jesus and they ask to sit on his right and left, and and Jesus doesn't condemn their ambition. He just wants to make sure that they know that the way to, to lead, to succeed within the kingdom of God is to serve, that the first will be last and the last shall be first, that service is at the heart of true ambition. That the way that we move forward, that we, that we actually, the way that we become everything we were created to be is in serving others. So the problem was not ambition. In fact, Daniel and his friends are ambitious. They rise to the top of leadership. And, and Daniel is bold enough and ambitious enough to ask for his friends to be put as the administrators over the province of Babylon itself. They rose to the top of leadership in an empire even though it was evil. And as you eventually see, it is their, their courage and their humility and their wisdom that leads to the transformation of this king. Neither is it downplaying accomplishments. Daniel comes in, and the story we just heard a little bit about, and he, he comes back in, and he has spent the night in prayer, and God has revealed the dream and its interpretation to him. So he goes to King Nebuchadnezzar and he tells him the dream and he tells him the interpretation and he accepts the reward for what he's done. And he leans in to ask for something for his friends. He's not ashamed of what he's accomplished. He's not trying to hide it. He's not being boastful or proud. He doesn't rub it in everyone else's faces, but he's not afraid to own what he's accomplished, to name it and to be confident in himself because of those things. Now, we've talked a lot about what it's not, but humility at its heart is serving others. It's having the mind of Christ as described in Philippians, where where, where Paul tells us that Jesus himself came as a servant, and that we too should have the mind of Christ serving others. He tells us that we should put the needs and the concerns of others above our own humility is the ability to serve others now daniel's humility is really displayed in chapter 4 of the book of daniel and this Dan, daniel is called on by king nebuchadnezzar he's earned the trust of king nebuchadnezzar and, he, and and king nebuchadnezzar he has another dream this time he doesn't ask daniel to interpret it instead he tells them about it And in this dream, there is this big, beautiful tree with massive branches that reach to the sky. Its fruit takes care of and provides for all of the animals of the forest. And it provides shade for the animals of the ground and homes for the animals of the air. It is this wonderful, life-giving tree. But then a messenger of heaven comes and proclaims that the tree should be cut down capped with bronze, and all of those things are gone. And Nebuchadnezzar is worried about, he's worried about the result, the interpretation, and he trusts Daniel to be the one, and he, and he calls him in and says, you, you are a man who, who has connection with God. And I need to know what this means. And Daniel demonstrates a humility and that he's a little bit perplexed, and he decides he, he, he's nervous to tell the king because he cares about him. But ultimately, he tells the king in, in verse 22 of chapter four, "You, O king, are that tree. You have become great and strong. your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky, and your dominion extends." to distant parts of the earth. He is complimenting and encouraging what good this king has done in spite of the evil that he has done. And he says, "'You, O king, saw a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, "'Cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump bound with iron and bronze. "'In the grass of the field, while its roots remain in the ground,' Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live like the wild animals until seven times pass. This is the interpretation, O King, and this is the decree the Most High has issued against my Lord the King. You will be driven away from people and you will live with the wild animals and you will eat grass like cattle and drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass before you until you acknowledge The Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the earth and its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, O King, be pleased to accept my advice and renounce your sins by doing what is right, and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed it may be that then your prosperity will continue. Daniel demonstrates so much humility and courage in this story. As he speaks to the king, he is concerned for the king's best interest. He's willing to speak the truth, but he does so with a love that's, that, that steps just beyond just the interpretation, to give advice. His concern is for the king, and he suggests that the king repent and turn to God so that this evil king can stay on his throne. He offers him a pathway. He he knows what is best for this king, and his desire is to offer and to show him what's possible. It doesn't mean that he shies away from the, the pain and the loss that is promised in this dream, that he doesn't fail to speak the truth, but instead he, his best, he has the best interests of the king at his heart. And I wonder sometimes when we interact with those around us, when we interact with those at work, when we interact with the, those who are leaders in our community or our country or, or even our workplace, do we have the best interests of others at heart? or are we really looking to our own best interest are we looking to get something or to give something do we go to work do we go to work to get a paycheck or do we go to work to give the gift of ourselves to everyone we'll come into contact with do we do we interact with others looking for what they can do for us or what we can do for them? Do you walk out into the world with a humility that has a desire to add value to others and contribute to their good, to protect them, to offer them more, to love them, to set them free? Or are you looking to your own interests? Are you worried about your needs? Are you worried only About your needs? Are you worried only about your wants? Are you worried only about your accounts and your retirement and your city and your people, your family? Or are you able to see beyond that and to see that the will of God is the common good and that we as Followers of Jesus are to bring people together across every boundary that divides us. That in him, there are no more boundaries of economics. There are no more boundaries of race. There are no more boundaries of gender that hold us apart. Instead, we are brought together as one. And we seek the best interests of others because Jesus, he put his Interests aside for ours. He gave up heaven for our salvation. He gave up the streets of gold for dirt roads. He gave up a throne for a cross. He sought our interest, our salvation, our hope, our strength, our reconnection with our humanity. Real humility puts the interests of others above their own. Secondly, Daniel's humility, as demonstrated here, is a humility that's willing to accept God's assignment. He's willing to accept God's assignment. God has allowed him to go into this place, this foreign land, with foreign rulers and foreign gods, and there he works for the best interests of the king. He accepts his place in this kingdom, his role in this kingdom, his role in this life. He accepts God's assignment. It doesn't mean that he doesn't work toward bettering that assignment. It doesn't mean that he doesn't work toward being a witness for God's kingdom in that place. But he accepts where he is and does the job he's been given to the best of his ability. He works for the good of others, accepting that this is where he has been placed for this time in history, for this moment in history. He's not trying to break down the system. He's not trying to break down the institution. He's not trying to destroy everything around him because he disagrees with it. He's not, he's not bad-mouthing the king behind his back. He's not bad-mouthing those who've come against him behind his back. He's not calling people idiots or or calling them any number of things because he disagrees with them or even because God has named them as evil. Instead, he's offering love, accepting that this is his place right now. And with courage and humility, he works to bring about the good of those around him and works for the best of others. He believes what's possible. He gives them the benefit of the doubt. He gives them the benefit of the doubt. Humility gives others the benefit of the doubt. You see, we have this tendency, right, to tell ourselves stories. We do it all the time. We tell ourselves a story about what's happening around us. We tell ourselves a story about what our spouse was thinking when we had that argument. We tell ourselves a story about why our kids didn't listen or do what we asked them to do. We tell ourselves a story about the the little cluster of people laughing off to the corner at work. We tell ourselves a story about what the church must think or what this person must think or what that person must think. We tell ourselves a story about what's happening. And in that story, we're revealing what's really going on in our heart. So what stories are you telling yourself? When you start to tell yourself those stories, Do you give others the benefit of the doubt or do you assume the worst? Humility gives others the benefit of the doubt. Humility offers them grace and hope because it believes the best. Daniel offers hope to the king. This is what the the messenger from heaven has decreed But there's a way out. There is hope for the king. And he offers and assumes the best. He's assuming that there is a day coming when the king can declare that heaven rules and that God is the one who is deserving of all glory and has placed him in this place of authority. He assumes the best. (laughs) And in that, he assumes the possibility that he's wrong. It may be subtle and a little bit of a stretch here, but but think about it. He has now proclaimed this disastrous outcome for King Nebuchadnezzar. And he says to him, but listen, listen, accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. And it may be then your prosperity will continue. He's giving him this this opportunity that maybe I'm wrong. Maybe if you will do what is right, there'll be a better outcome think those who are humble hold on to their beliefs courageously, they hold on to truth courageously, but they always assume the possibility that they might be wrong, that they might be missing something, they might not be seeing something. And so they ask questions, they learn and they're open, and they give others the benefit of the doubt. This, this is persuasive, persuasive Christianity a humble, courageous, and as we'll see next week, a wise Christianity. This is how we thrive in Babylon. This is how we thrive in a culture that's gone backwards and culture that opposes our faith. We become those who are courageous but humble, those who serve Everyone around us, those who put the needs of others before on those who assume the best, those who accept our assignment within this world and give it everything we got, knowing that we work for the Lord. Jeremiah, a contemporary of Daniel, prophet. In Jeremiah chapter 29, and we're really familiar with Jeremiah 29, 11 this promise made to Israel. And we often want to claim it as our own, but it's a promise made to Israel. And it says to, he says to them that, that, I know the plans I have for you. Therefore, you're good. Therefore, you're good. But then he goes on to tell them, but listen, you're going to have to wait 70 years for those things to come about. And he tells them through the rest of that chapter that, that I want you to work for the good of the kingdom around you. Work for the good of your neighbors. Work for the good of your community. Work for the good of those around you, even though you don't agree with. Because when the, the power around you prospers, you prosper. When the community around you prospers, you prosper. When our country prospers, you prosper. When, when character and love and truth Gain a footing in our community, then we prosper. When hope outweighs fear, when love is greater than fear, when truth speaks louder than any other voice, we prosper. So we step out with courage and with love, with humility. We serve. We serve. This is how we thrive in Babylon. Let's pray. Father, humility is a hard thing. I suppose the moment we think we're humble, we're no longer humble. We need your help. We need your spirit to develop this in us. Give us a willingness to serve others, to put the needs of others before our own to look to the needs of the the outcast and the marginalized and the broken and the hurting and the written off in our community. May we stand in solidarity with one another in hope that gives courage and humility. And we thank you. We thank you that no matter what the world looks like around us, no matter what's going on in our world, that you are with us that we do not walk alone, that you don't forsake us or write us off. And so may we see ourselves as you see us and may we see those around us through your eyes. And May our lives be filled with love. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm